1: The day before she was killed, she had gone to this really famous place in court called Three Castle Head, which is like this crazy stone area that was known to be haunted. And one of the legends is that there's a white lady like that's by the lake over there. And if you see the white lady, that means your death is imminent. And there were friends of Sophie's that were staying in Ireland as well nearby Three Castle Head and that they told police that she came to their home quite frightened and worked up because she had seen something that looked like a white lady.
0: That's right. That's how we do. That's how we do.
1: Just adjusting my microphone.
0: It looks good. Um, you look
1: great. <laughs> Thank I like you. your sweater. Are those bulls or cows or what is that They're, on your sweater? It's bison on my
0: sweater. It oh, was bison. a bit cold this morning. Was it, it cold down I'm, where you were?
1: Twenty miles. Sure away? is. I'm I'm wearing full full long sleeve with a sweater over it, and yeah it's chilly. It's I mean kind of nice. I kind of like it.
0: It's true. I like it too. It makes you feel like more because it's still getting dark at like 4:45, which sucks. I'm just like, "Oh, yeah. I hate that." But Adam <laughs> sent both the kids to school in like tiny shorts.
1: Like not just normal
0: shorts, but like really short shorts. I'm like, "What
1: are you doing?" Like He's booty like, it's "Shorts." Hot no you're like it's not hot babe the high is like 62 (laughs) he
0: he just projects he's always hot so he assumes that the kids are going to be hot and i'm like dude they're kids they're going to be cold they're tiny they're like a third actually like a fourth of the size of you you know anyways (laughs) god help us all It is December. It is the year of 2021. And we are living still a bit of a fresh hell for this coronavirus.
1: Yeah, my goodness gracious. Like now Omicron. I will I have my appointment with my husband on Monday. We're gonna do the booster shot.
0: Yes, I'm trip. We
1: tried to get it. I know you're trip vaxxed, which is so awesome. We tried to get it before Thanksgiving and I couldn't get an appointment anywhere oh so, which made me feel good like I was like oh good people are doing yes. this so yeah. um we've got our appointment to get that done but now that they've detected the new variant right here in Los Angeles yeah I'm like oh well I guess it's a good thing I'm gonna do this
0: my daughter had her second one and Ooh. so yeah in two weeks she'll be like having a nice immunity Fully yeah yeah
1: that's For what they l- say right after two weeks after
0: 14 days yeah
1: Yeah, you're fully vaccinated. So that'll feel good. You'll know that she's Mm -hmm. fully protected. It is. I think it's becoming one of those things, Vaughn, where we have to just maybe accept that this is going to be part of our lives for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I was listening to
0: something online and they were talking about a new or or a way that we can kind of get through things. It's like if you go somewhere where you don't know people, you have to come home and take a test and then take a test five days later, or you know, all these things. So hopefully tests will become right. more readily available. I think they are in a lot of areas and less expensive because I've stored a few, I have a couple tests, but they're like, it's 20 something dollars for two tests. That's a lot of money right, to spend. that's a
1: lot. Yeah, and not everybody can, you know, afford to like stockpile at home COVID testing. Exactly. I think, yeah, there need to be like rapid test sites everywhere where it's free. Hmm. Um, not just at the airport, although I think that's very wise that they're doing that, that anybody who flies in to that is really smart. airports, you know, I think they're trying to make it so that everybody has to get a test before they leave the airport.
0: Well, I will say enough of this sad, scary talk, because what we're here to do today is... That's
1: right, is talk about holiday movies. We are, and it's like and then the best... And then a crime. Best,
0: yes, exactly. Both of these, I think, are... Such good fantasy fantasy getaways in your brain. You know, it's just like a way to like get out of your head. Focus on something
1: else. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So, this
0: uh, rom-com, holiday rom-com that we're going to cover is more, I think, it's not like so classic, like from the many, many years ago, but it's pretty darn classic. It's from 2006, and I'm not going to say what it is yet. My sister, my sister Sylvia, hey, what's up, Sylvia, texted me. Hi, Sylvia. And she was like, hey, you guys really need to cover this. It's such a good one. And so, we are going to cover for the rom-com today, mm-hmm. on this week's episode, The Holiday.
1: Yes. Nancy the Myers what could baby. Be more Nancy holiday Myers. movie than a movie called The Holiday.
0: I feel like Nancy Meyers, I kind of love everything that Nancy Myers does. I love the way she mm-hmm. writes. I I know some people it's a little saccharine, but I just enjoy I enjoy her funny, witty, small moments and you know and she has a well she she creates well well rounded female characters.
1: Right. And I always just love the world she creates like it's yes. always the most visually perfect I want to live in every house that has ever been in a Nancy Myers movie absolutely and you just I just love the way everything looks and it's all like cozy and oh my gosh I love I actually it's- rewatched this one because I <laughs> haven't seen it in a long time so I I watched it last or earlier this week
0: I'm so happy you did
1: and I enjoyed it although I felt like it you know there's a couple things where I was like but again that with time not everything not everything I know it's t- 2021
0: it's not 2006 it's like quite a few years since then It's a 15
1: year old movie
0: yeah Um so this movie written directed like I said by Nancy Myers and then we have our uh we have our famous people who are in this and <laughs> all the famous people so many we have got Cameron Diaz who plays Amanda who is a she's one of those editors for trailers that um, she's really good at her job and she's a workaholic and she's I guess she was 34 when she filmed this looking good Cameron Diaz I like yeah, her everybody looks
1: beautiful in
0: this so beautiful and I feel like I, I will only say one small criticism I always don't always buy what she's what's coming out of her mouth in movies like I think she's mm-hmm. I know she's a good actress but I do not always buy and this could be she
1: just might be this
0: way in person you know right right Unfortunately, some people are bullshit in person, so.
1: Yeah, you're like, there's that. that's a big smile, a big, big smile. It's just, you know, she's (laughs) a little
0: like Scooby-Doo, a little bit like, I don't know, she's a little Jack Black, if you ask me, but we'll get to that.
1: Yeah, that's true. She's got like really, really, really animated Mm -hmm. facial expressions, which is actually kind of fun. It is fun. You don't normally equate like somebody who really uses their face. With like, you know, also like an absolutely stunning, gorgeous actress. Then we have Kate
0: Winslet, who is always my favorite. And whatever she does, I will watch her be beautiful and vulnerable. And I love her. And oh, my God, I love you, Kate Winslet. And then we have Jack Black, who plays uh, the counterpart to Kate, which is a little... We'll get there. Um, We have Eli Wallach, who plays the older gentleman that um, Kate meets. And we have Edward Burns, who plays the asshole
1: asshole
0: that Amanda dates Cameron Diaz and then Rufus Sewell who plays Jasper which I find him one of the most interesting actors he's so he's scary looking but he's really beautiful too
1: yeah yeah and you know he and Kate Winslet dated in real life
0: what I mean but they had
1: already broken up before they made this movie together so they were exes Right, I love. I just that. read. I just read something about that when I was like, "What are some fun facts about the holiday that I can tie to a murder?" Yeah. I didn't find anything from that, but I did find out that uh, that they dated in real life.
0: I would watch that pornographic film. So <laughs> just just to do a real quick top level of the movie, it's about two women, one from America and one from Britain. They swap homes at Christmas time after bad breakups with their boyfriends. Each woman finds romance with a local man, and but and but realize that the imminent return home may end the relationship. So that's sort of like the
1: um, yeah big old conflict, big old conflict.
0: <laughs> but I thought it would be fun to start with a couple reviews from when this came out in two thousand six because they're so critical and salacious, some of them. I just, oh, I'm yeah. just gonna quickly run I through like a couple this. things.
1: Add, you should just add this to everyone, like find the most just hilariously salacious reviews of Let's, let's see us. if
0: I did it. Okay, so the New York Times said, on the brink of Christmas, these two strangers trade homes for the holidays and land smack in each other's lifestyles. Amanda ends up in a sweet country cottage that looks as if it has been drawn by Beatrix Potter while Iris moves <laughs> into a Los Angeles mansion with a maid and a pool large enough for the Olympics. So that was that. It's not really any salacious. Right. The Guardian said, Jack Black just does not work as a romantic lead. His face <laughs> is hardwired for wacky comedy. When he smiles in what is clearly supposed to be a winning way, it just looks creepy or as if he's having some sort of intestinal spasm. But for oh real God. creepiness... <gasps> This is crazy. It gets crazier. For, but for real, this is from the Guardian. For real creepiness. For real. Oh my God! I think he might be a serial killer. Creepiness. Jude Law's character wins hands down when he shows up at Cameron's house swap cottage, tipsy and needing somewhere to go to the somewhere to go to the loo and stay the night. My blood ran cold. Something about his cuddly overcoat, lovable scarf, and Brit specs made me think I was watching a remake of Ten Rillington Place, which must be a horror a movie. horror movie. <laughs> and he says, it seemed like Graham was going to wind up keeping Amanda in various sections of the freezer. Nothing quite so deplorable occurs. Yet, this is how he playfully rebukes Amanda after some fairly sober talk about relationships and such. You're seriously the most depressing girl I've ever met. Anyways, I was laughing so hard at that one because I'm like, okay, that was <gasps> oh. the far- that was the farthest thing from my mind when I saw Jula. I was like, Jula, Meg baby. Yeah, I never...
1: Yeah. Never looking more beautiful than exactly. he does in this movie. Oh, my gosh. It's kind of like his Meet Joe Black, where, like, Brad Pitt Meet Joe Black
0: yeah. doesn't even look
1: like a real human man. He's just, like, the most beautiful creature you've Seriously. ever seen. And I feel like this is the height of Jude Law's... I mean, he's still a very good-looking dude, sure. but this was, like... Sure. This was, like, the same era where he did... um What was that great movie with Matt Damon and Gwyneth Paltrow? Oh, yeah. Um I, Being I she- or searching for someone... I remember and that he's one. He's so beautiful when they're on in the that boat. Movie? And yeah, they're on the boat. Why can't love making? think of it. But he's, you know, he's like just as pretty exactly. in this as he was in that. And he's.
0: Listen, I don't want any more kids, but he makes me want to make babies. So. Right. Mm-hmm, well, you know I will I say, mean.
1: as somebody who watches these movies or like revisits them in my mind, with the thought process of like how can I figure out a way to tie a true crime story I actually had a similar reaction to that scene where he just shows up drunk oh. I wouldn't say tipsy I would say drunk and is like oh, my sister lets me sleep here let me in Yeah, you know? and it's just like
0: mm-hmm. it's messed up it is for sure messed up I but know like, that
1: she should have let him in but in this world of course it all works out so. exactly so we will get to that did. scene
0: though because it gets even more interesting I think so and mm-hmm. then okay so here's my next review it's a random person but they said why is Jack Black in this movie I just think it's funny funny poor Jack (laughs) Black poor Jack Black I know people really panned him I do understand where they're coming from it is hard but I I've seen this movie so many times I have allowed him to be this sympathetic character but it is tough because I love his wacky crazy comedy that he does mostly so poor guy definitely got some flack
1: and he does have that when he smiles it's usually done in a you know, in comedic fashion, but there's like a slightly sinister arch in Absolutely. his eyebrows and the way that his like lips kind of curl. It's yeah. there's nothing he can do. That's what his smile looks exactly. like. You know, but it does not look like a winning smile. It looks like a comical or I know potentially
0: evil grin. You I know? know. Um okay, so Refinery twenty nine said, forget love actually. Jude Law is daddy in the holiday as far as Christmas <laughs> movie go. The holiday is pretty close to perfect. Nancy Meyer's charming 2006 Christmas fable about two women who swap lives and perfect homes, of course, for two weeks to escape their messy problems boasts one of the best of the director's signature kitchens, a fabulous array of cashmere turtlenecks and shearling coats, and enough twinkly lights to circle the world twice over. Plus, (laughs) has anyone in the history of time been more attractive than weepy single dad Jude Law in glasses. I yeah. agree. There's even a Hanukkah scene for people who like this reviewer of Refinery29 said, um it's like for, you know, there's a fun Jewish u tide scene, you know, it's great, Hanukkah. Yeah. Yay. But my opinion is I I love this movie. I Sometimes I get uncomfortable with the Santa Ana wins because I know how yucky they feel <laughs> when you're actually mm-hmm. in them. Because there's a couple scenes yeah. where she gets shit in her eye and all sorts of... But I know Why? it's poetic and whatever. But besides that, I really do love this movie. Like I said, Kate Winslet can really do no wrong for me. Yeah, just she's great. I love her. And fun- funnily, she's supposed to be the not-so-hot one in this, which is like, what? Obviously, she's so gorgeous. Yeah. It's a little stretch that she would get with Jack Black, but... She sees beyond beauty, which is her character or, you know, lack thereof, his beauty, whatever. Anyways, so that is some to start out with a fun, a couple fun fun. Um, I like that. He's daddy. Daddy. She is loves daddy in daddy. the best new holiday movie, The Holiday. I mean, I guess, is that what we're going to start calling somebody when they're hot? Oh, look, he's daddy. I don't know. That's a little no, bit much for that's me.
1: That's pretty creepy right there. Like he plays a daddy. But I don't think, I I don't think that we should go around just referring to all men we find super hot as daddy, unless we have some issues we want to talk through just, on the just, podcast. Just
0: Jude Law. I could pretty much look yeah. through whatever I have to look through for him. Yeah. Um, so the, the movie starts and you hear the voiceover of Iris, which is Kate Winslet's Kate Winslet. character. And she is, she plays a... She writes a small column for um, one of the newspapers and she's madly in love with Jasper who works there as well, but he's one of the bigger writers and they had an affair, but he cheated on her and, but she is still, you know, helping him him edit shit. He's, she's all over him and it's been three years since they broke up, but I like what she said. I have found almost everything ever written about love to be true. Shakespeare said, journeys end when lovers meet. What an extraordinary thought. Personally, I have not experienced anything remotely close to that, but I'm more than willing to believe Shakespeare had. I suppose I think about love more than anyone really should. I am constantly amazed by its sheer power and by all its subtleties and complexities. It was Shakespeare who also said love is blind. Now that is something I know to be true. And for some, quite inexplicably, love fades. For others, love is simply lost. But then, of course, love can also be found, even if just for a night. And then during that scene, it's like Jude Law in the pub just looking for his next mark. Creepy. Mm -hmm. And then there's another kind of love, the cruelest kind, the one that almost kills its victims. It's called unrequited love. Of that, I am an expert. Most love stories are pretty much about people who fall in love with each other. But what about the rest of us? What about our stories? Those of us who fall in love alone.
1: Oh, poor Kate. Victims
0: of the one-sided affair. I know, right? We are the cursed of the loved ones. We are the unloved ones. The walking wounded, the handicapped without the advantage of a great parking space. (laughs) <laughs> so and then it goes on there where she like sees him and they're having the holiday party and she finds out that he
1: got engaged to somebody and she's just devastated. It is yeah. sad. And also Jasper is a type of character that I I appreciate seeing in a movie like this because it's it's something that I feel like is not always represented in ro- romantic comedies but like those people who. Intentionally keep people on the hook, yeah, you know, like he that know that somebody has feelings for them, and they have they have no intention of ever, like, being in a relationship with them but they like the attention oh, so, so they continue cruel. to like feed into it and it's just so mean and he, yeah. I mean he takes it to extremes in this movie obviously but you're just like leave poor Kate Winslet alone Jasper
0: yeah I know and her face her subtle I mean I could go on and on about her acting but her subtle you you read so much in in tiny moments of Kate Winslet's acting yeah so I decided I'm not gonna go through the whole movie I'm gonna do like because I feel like a lot of people, if you've seen this movie, you've seen a lot and you may want to rewatch and that'll be fun. If you haven't seen this movie, I am spoiling some stuff, but hopefully just dancing around enough so you can enjoy it for the first time as well. So I'm going to hit some key points <laughs> or some, yeah, some moments. It. So, okay. So, or some of my favorite moments. I love, let me make sure I'm and cause I just, it's funny. I had, oh, I'm not, I, I, <laughs> I have all these papers. <laughs> feel like huh? a crazy person like I'm a beautiful mind over here I've got like things circled and diagrams made Amazing. the holiday is not that complicated but it's becoming complicated <laughs> in my head I can't I need help
1: okay so let's see my that's favorite that's another great Nancy Myers film it's complicated oh that's true I love her you're right
0: so I love the scene where Amanda kicks Ethan out and even though I was talking a little bit of shit on uh, you know Cameron Diaz's acting because she does do all of these things where but she's a character who is so pent up that she cannot cry so that's interesting i think right. like for me as an actor if i was immediately after finding out you're being cheated on you would be distressed in so many ways and she basically she just kicks him out and she's just so funny i i i, I love her and i love there's a scene this is where i think nancy margers is such a great like writer but where he she's standing on the balcony and she's asking him, just say you slept with her, his receptionist. She's like, just say it. And the gardener next to him looks at him and he's like, don't do it. You know, don't like shakes it. his head like, no, man, no. Don't do it. And then, of course, he does it and he looks, and then the gardener looks disappointed. I'm like, that is great. It's funny, you know, it's like giving yeah. us the tone that we need. Um, okay, so kicking him out is a good one. What do I like next? I like when the, Amanda and Iris, they're both depressed they're, they both know they got to get the hell out of there. But they're looking on that house swap website. I don't think there was apps back then. It was like a website. Right. And at the moment, they have this like instant connection between the two of them. They strike up a conversation and sort of have a laugh. And they're like, oh, am I doing this? Am I really doing this? And like literally, they agree to switch houses the next day and they're on planes.
1: Right. And you're like, wait, what? I know. It must like, be nice. Must be nice. <laughs> yeah, it must be nice to
0: have that. And then Cameron Diaz's character, Amanda, is in like the cushy like laying down. And and Kate Winslet, Iris's character is like in coach, just like, sh- you know, between people with her ugly coat people. on, making her way out to L.A. And she's so funny. It's I don't think she'd ever been in L.A., but she acts like she's never seen the sun before. When yeah, she, she does. She like puts yeah, her head goes, out the oh. window when she's in the taxi. Yeah. I'm like, have Have you ever done that before? Maybe I have, but I'm thinking probably when I was like an idiot teenager.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've definitely stuck my my head out of the car window for a couple of different reasons yeah. over the years, <laughs> but, um, my, but to I've enjoy the it sun is certainly, certainly one of them, yeah. Anytime I do like Pacific Coast Highway, I feel like I can't help it, but I'm always like, I have to lean out and look. I'm always trying to spot, you know, stuff in the water.
0: Yeah. Well, (laughs) you can actually. And I think we, speaking of that, not to digress, but that we are getting to a place where like whale watching is starting to happen again, which is one of my favorite things. You could just stand on the beach and watch these big old whales, little toot their horns. (laughs) Boop. That's so cool. I also love it when Amanda, she gets to the she gets to the cottage, which is, by the way, the most idyllic, gorgeous cottage um, that you could imagine. Um, and she decides she needs food, so she goes to, like, local grocery shop, which is, looks like a tiny little market. But she just, yeah. it's just this scene of her, like, throwing delicious food and, like, drinking wine in the shop because she's kind of losing her shit. I love it. <laughs> Cause it just yeah. I, she's cause she's just getting ready to be alone in a cozy cottage by herself,
1: right? Just and then be indulgent and take care of herself.
0: That's all I ever wanted. So I mean, that's <sighs> all I ever want. Well, and the truth is, is like, of course, she doesn't actually enjoy it because she's too pent up to do that. But I think, girl, that is. Ugh, that's all I want. Um, okay, so now we're <laughs> talking about the scene where Graham comes over and you're right, he is not tipsy. He is shit faconcaugged. That's uh-huh. my word for drunk.
1: <laughs> and he's, he's a rummy.
0: <laughs> he's looking for a place to urinate and maybe crash and he finds Amanda at his sister's house. They chat. they kiss. Then they boned. That's so funny. I wrote that down. I I wrote that down. I wrote they boned. But it's it's funny because I think the reason I I like this scene is I'll tell you why. Because it is creepy. But I like that Amanda, he kisses her very briefly. Maybe Mm -hmm. could be like almost like a friendly-ish kiss, but definitely not. But you know what I mean? Doesn't, you know, he's about to go lay down and she's like, can you do that again? And then she right. kisses him again. And then she's like, I need to try one more time. And then she is the one who sort of, in a kind of awkward way, but she's like, would you like? you know, let's have sex. And he's like, are you sure? Is this a trick question? But then mm-hmm. they kind of like have this beautiful, you know, moment where he grabs her head, you know, how they, they yeah. do that in movies. And then they have like a sexy kiss and all this. But I thought it was sad because she's like, just so you know, I'm not good at this.
1: Right. Yeah, I remember because ha- not remember That scene when my ex-boyfriend yeah, or whatever yeah. told
0: her she was bad at sex. Which leave that person, guys. Yeah, unless they're willing to get better with you. Because if they think you're bad, then they're bad. Just yeah. Cautionary tale there. That is some bullshit. But I felt bad. But yeah, it for also her shows like moment.
1: the her insecurities in relationships. Because doesn't she also say something like sex? is complicated because or not having sex is complicated like it's always complicated yeah maybe that comes later in the movie
0: i think it might come later but i i think yeah that sounds like a very much an amanda thing to say because she's got lots of ideas of how things should be versus Mm -hmm. how life is and as you and i both know it's something i feel like i deal with but like when i can let go of how i believe things should go in any aspect of my goddamn life if i can let that go then my then i'm much happier
1: yeah, uh, it's hard, guys. I've had a just long. Just releasing week. expectations, I know. Oh,
0: it's so <laughs> hard. But okay, so then the next morning, this is the part mm-hmm. where I'm like, uh, I'm confused. Like, I feel it's when Graham comes on, comes in, and he's like, "Oh, I lost my contacts last night," and he he puts on the glasses, Averin, Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're so goddamn hot. I'm just like, okay, I'll he's do so anything. So fucking you say. beautiful.
1: Yeah, and the glasses. Oh, yeah. And his, like, That's golden, the, his honey the like, golden me. hair. Yeah, the, the glasses. Like, 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 all of a sudden, he's not the creepy drunk guy. No, no, no. He's like the holy God, you're so hot guy. He's like, can I
0: sit? I'm like, can I sit on your lap, daddy? <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, okay, so. <laughs> okay, and then, oh, then I might have skipped this part, but I, I love it when Iris does get to um, Amanda's huge house, and she's just, like, running yeah. around each room. She's like, oh, I'm laughing hysterically. It's very cute. Um... Oh, the next scene. Let's see that I enjoy. Oh, you know, it's not the, it's not that, but I, it, I like that Amanda. The next night, I it's probably the next because she was gonna fly back to LA. She was like, I'm leaving, but now she got someone right. at they. She got yep. she got someone at Gramdy, And she ends up at the pub, and mm-hmm. you know she's drinking her wine. She's doing a little smile. You can tell she's had a good sexual experience, and he mm-hmm. catches her eye. It's very cute. And then Iris finds out that Graham slept with her house guest, which she's like, "He's like, Iris is like, I can't believe that you had sex with the woman staying in my house." (laughs) Right. Uh,
1: And then Iris. And then there's a there's a funny like call waiting mess up during that scene. Oh yes,
0: yes. And then she's like, "What?" Because she needs to because uh, Ed Norton or Ed whatever the guy's name is, the boyfriend, Amanda's boyfriend is assistant or whatever jack black who, who works with or for amanda's ex-boyfriend comes to the house and he's like i need to pick up his stuff because she you know she's kicked, kicked him out, out say get the hell out of this house um and and i would say um iris is very wise she's like can you come back tomorrow i need to Let talk just to the woman sure. of the home to make sure it's okay yeah. if i give stuff so that's what they're doing on that um but what was it gonna say yeah it's 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 funny. Oh, oh! it's about the part where, where Iris is driving and both of them have little moments of like driving on the wrong side of the road and right. almost getting hit. Um, but she's in like the sexy car of Amanda's and she sees an old man kind of wandering that she had seen before. She knew where he lived. So she picked him up. And this is the guy who plays Arthur, the older gentleman that she befriends. And she... Has a friendship with, and he's, he couldn't remember where he was, but it doesn't right. necessarily allude to him having amne- amnesia. No, having like uh, Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's or, anything, or but
1: yeah,
0: he's it, elderly. He's elderly, and he, he said that he didn't recognize the houses, but but this guy is supposed to be like some old Hollywood like uh, producer who Legend, knows everybody. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So where what what next? What next to me? Oh, oh. Yeah. So, but they go to dinner. Ar- Arthur and uh, Iris go to dinner and the place is so cute. You know, it's hard in LA to make things really like Christmassy seeming because I don't know about you, Ev, but I want the cool weather a little bit and I want the,
1: yeah. I want to wear the I wanna outfits. I want to look outside and see, I want to wear the outfits. That's what I want. Yeah. I want to wear the outfits. And like the scarf. Let's wear them. I'll just be we should. Underneath it, but M- my just daughter do anyway.
0: asked last night. She's like, "Mom, how long does it take to fly to Bear, uh, Big Bear?" I was like, "Oh, yeah, you can't. We, we just drive in like a couple hours." She's like, "Oh, we should yeah. do that." I was like, "Yeah, we could wear outfits of,
1: yeah, we could." She's a smart girl. And
0: let's see here. Okay, so I'm I'm approaching sort of the end of my love my scenes that I love. So keep, keep thinking of if you have any that you're in love with. Oh, okay,
1: so. Well, I was going to say, I'm trying to remember the order of the movie, but I can, if you leave it out, I'll, I'll mention my okay. scene that I love, but I don't want to steal it from you if you talked about it.
0: So I can't remember what happens first, but Iris has a Hanukkah party and Miles, the guy who is Jack Black stops by, they kind of, you know, get to talking with Arthur and Iris... Uh, he gives Iris two kisses, lingering a little after the last one. He leaves and she shouts to him, don't blow away. Because <laughs> they have that funny little thing. Right. I like the scene when Amanda goes to Graham's house and she finds out that he has two little daughters. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's not just kind of sexy drunk, but he's also a dad maybe a deadbeat dead no I'm kidding um <laughs> they invite her into the house and it's totally decked out and like Christmas stuff and she melts she's like wow I'm you know not used to this kind of joyful I don't know family, family.
1: yeah and so
0: I really like that scene and it does and then in- he does I- the
1: Mr. Napkin head oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. so Jude Law uh, he gives his hand at the calm in this yeah. rom-com and it's pretty funny. He puts and a I think the little over girls his face. are hilarious.
0: Oh, yeah. And then there's that adorable image of them laying down in the tent side by side. And then but then later on, Graham and Amanda are in the library, and he tells her that he is a full-time dad uh, reading cookbooks and parenting books before he goes to bed.
1: When he's not getting wasted at the local pub, exactly, and, and then banging With hot chicks. girls he just met, yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm just like, come on, buddy.
1: It's the holidays. The holidays are hard, Vanya. They are. Everybody handles that kind of stress in their own way. It's a good point. It's a
0: really good point. Graham <laughs> tells Amanda that he loves her. She's leaving in less than 24 goddamn hours, and they're talking about what they're going to do once they're gone. And Graham can't help himself he loves her she doesn't say it back but it's still a pretty cute scene it makes me sad though because the ending of this I found a fun and interesting article Um, oh and then the other of course the other greatest scene is when Iris finally tells Jasper off like for fart's sake like just bye Jasper you don't get to use me anymore I'm
1: miraculously out of I've fallen out of love with you get out of here yeah it's a great scene
0: because even though he was engaged, he's still calling her. It's just
1: like... He shows up in LA and tries to sleep with her. That's
0: crazy to me. I'm like, what is wrong with you emotionally, Jasper? Yeah, Seriously. like, you got
1: some stuff you need to work out. Okay, so that's kind of all of my high
0: <laughs> high points. Um, I did find an article written uh, by a woman or man named Alex Bruce. Could be a guy. I don't know. Um, from the pedestrian TV. And I think this is interesting. So... They say, here's the thing I think about every Christmas. Why did the holiday give us such an unsatisfying ending? So, Mm. yeah, I know. And it says uh, they clarify by saying, let me just clarify by saying I love the holiday uh, and like love in capitals, uh, uppercase letters. It's perfect in almost every way, minus a terrible, unsatisfying ending. So. Sorry to Kate Winslet. Okay, so let's see. I might need just a second to... Now, sorry to Kate Winslet and all, but I don't really care about her story quite so much. And they make a note. Since I wrote the first piece, I've revised my feelings. I love Kate Winslet, blah, blah, blah. But she's, he's not... He, she, they are not buying Jack Black and, and Kate Winslet's chemistry. Just not happening. Let's Poor see. Jack Black. I know. <laughs>
1: just universally, everyone's like, this movie would have been better without him. I know. I mean, it's that like, kind ouch.
0: of might be true. You know who I would want like a Mark Ruffalo or something like that. Oh, you know? Yeah. Cuz here's the I thing and that. again I'm really sorry Jack Black. I really am because I love you in so many ways but not super bonable.
1: And it's also, you know, he had to try it. She, asked, she Didn't she, like, beg him to do it? And he only agreed because he found oh, out no he would idea. be working with Kate Winslet. Like, I don't think it was an easy sell for him because that's not a type of movie he ever made before or since.
0: So, I mean, it feels so bad when, when I meet him and he's obviously listened to this episode and he's like, you've got some explaining to do, Vanya. I'd like to talk to you about this. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> So we talk. So Amanda, the man. So she's talking about the man she starts to immediate starts boning when she gets to England, who happens to be Iris's brother. Right, duh. Obviously, these two get on a one way train to Bone Town. This is why I like this person because they obviously, right, like you and I. Yeah. Because look at them both. That's funny, right? Exactly. They're both the hottest people. My God. They begin to fall in love, but here's the catch. Graham is a widow and has two beautiful little girls. And the main issue is that Graham cannot move to Hollywood to be with Amanda. And Amanda, being the driven career woman that she is, refuses to leave her work behind. The result? Conflict. Cut to the end of the movie. A lot of stuff happens, blah, blah, blah. The holiday resolves the Amanda-Graham conflict by getting Amanda to stay in the UK until New Year's Eve. She literally bolts from the taxi, runs through the snow, bands After on Graham's big, yeah, on his door. And she says, I'll stay until New Year's Eve. And then the movie ends with a delightful New Year's Eve party with everyone. Graham, his two daughters, Amanda Iris, and Jack Black's character, Miles, who is irrelevant to the story. Sorry. <laughs> um, and then it just, it just ends. So our friend here, Alex, says, I'm sorry, Nancy Myers. you've done some good shit, but that is not an ending. What did Amanda and Graham do afterwards? Huh? Did they break up again? Were there tears? What the shit happened in January when Amanda had to return to California? What bloody then? The logic of this movie would indicate that despite the appeal of Jude Law in a turtleneck sweater, Amanda is too tied up in her work in L.A. Therefore, once the movie ends, she takes her New York... Sorry, she takes her New Year's Eve induced hangover back to the United States and she and Graham break up again. Hold on. Here's how I get through this depressing reality. In my head, Amanda realizes she could easily work in the UK because it's of its thriving film industry and all that jazz. She moves in with Graham. They have lots of sex, probably make a baby and live happily ever after. If you insist, here's what I imagine for everyone else. No, we don't care about that. It turns out mm-hmm. Queen Nancy Myers is on the same page as her. So apparently, in a 2015, I'll, I'll stop after this. But in a 2015 article, um, Nancy Myers imagines a sequel where Amanda has moved to England to be with Graham, possibly in London, and they have kids. All I can say is thank fucking God. Now please go make it happen, oh. Nancy. Now
1: this—it's
0: <gasps> just the funniest shit ever.
1: So yeah, I love but the also holiday. That's true. I love the holiday too, but you're right. Like the movie technically doesn't give us a happy ending; it gives us an extended holiday. Yeah. Um, and that's it. Because Miles flies with Kate, with Iris to spend New Year's with her back in the UK. But like, the, there's also no apparently their storyline doesn't matter. But there's also <laughs> no indication that their relationship will continue moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I felt like the movie relationship for Kate Winslet that was like the most dynamic and interesting was her relationship with Arthur yeah, the friendship that she developed with him and like how she kind of got her confidence back in the company of this like old man. So I'm sure you can imagine where Avern's brain was going, like trying to figure out what type of crime am I going to find? And I went through a lot of them and I settled on, I think, one that's a little bit surprising because I was thinking, of course unrequited love as the movie starts like I'm sure and there have been because I I look into all of this crimes committed against someone because they didn't love them back I looked into that angle and I was like okay and I didn't really find a story that I wanted to to tie to this and then I looked into um like has anyone ever gotten murdered in a house swap scenario oh I like that (laughs) and (laughs) and that I couldn't find that although it turns out that there was a horrific murder story involving a woman who had done that show, The Wife Swap.
0: (gasps) Oh. But
1: not while she was on the show, like several years later. And it was like her son, I think, killed her and other people in their family. And so that didn't feel like that was, it wasn't a wife swap. It was a house swap. So I was like, that doesn't really feel like it. And so I was like, what's the crux of this movie? The crux of this movie is two women who decide to spend the holiday alone to kind of like reconnect with themselves in these charming locations. So then I just typed in, you know, like holiday crimes. And I came across this really truly frustrating and sad story that also, I guess I could say, much like our friend Alex, does not have a satisfying ending. Mm. Um, But the commonalities are that the the woman whose story I'm going to tell you about is a woman who went to a beautiful, isolated cottage over Christmas in 1996 Okay, and was sadly killed while she was on holiday. So this is the story of Sophie Toscan du Plantier, a Parisian film and television editor. So she also worked in that industry, which I guess we could tie into the Amanda character. And she had a lovely little cottage in West Cork. There's a documentary on Netflix called Sophie, A Murder in West Cork, which is where, that's what I watched and where I got all of this information from. But she um, had this, she'd spent time as a girl in Ireland and she loved it. So as an adult in, I think they said in 1991, she purchased this isolated cottage that was, um, on the outskirts of a small uh, town called Skull in West Cork and West Cork is this coastal area in Ireland that is kind of a awesome combination of like the locals the people that have been there always and an array of they call them blow-ins like people who get blown in by the sea and it's a very like open-minded place they've got you know hippies and artists and all kinds of like cool, interesting people. So it's not surprising that this very creative woman would also be drawn to this town. And the cottage that she owned was basically overlooked by Mount Gabriel, which is this big mountain and is known in Irish folklore to have been the home of the last wolf in Ireland. Oh. Yeah. There was a lot of like really interesting... Irish lore and then the, the characters in this documentary they're, they're themselves but like the people of this town Sophie's family is very much involved in it the you know the police officers the main suspect everybody is in this docu series. so if this um story is at all interesting to you you should definitely check out the the three-part okay. series on Netflix so on December 23rd of 1996 while out walking in the morning Sophie's neighbor came across a, a woman's body that was kind of tangled up in a briar bush. It's like a thorny bush. Um, she was wearing a white nightgown and black boots, and she had been badly bludgeoned to death with a slate rock, which actually laid not too far from her body. Um, So, of course, the police are called. And in this small little Irish town, this is the first murder in living memory. Like nobody who this like literally murder has never happened in modern times in this area. So clearly inexperienced, unprepared. That's going to become a very big issue in this story. Um, So they come in, and because of that lack of experience, or I guess we could even call it incompetence, um, the crime scene is poorly preserved. People are, like, walking all over the place. Uh, Evidence goes missing eventually. Like, there's this gate where there's blood splatter, and they think there's a chance that because of the thorns and everything in the brush that she was found in, that it's really likely that the person who killed her would have scratched themselves. So they remove the whole gate to take it in for evidence. DNA is pretty new at this point, so they don't know if they have enough for that. Anyway, this gate, and a, ho- a whole gate is going to go missing from evidence, you guys. Um and, and they were so unprepared for all of this that it took 28 hours from the time she was found till the time the pathologist, the person who comes to the body and like determines the cause of death, 28 hours. And in that time, they left her I mean, obviously covered, but she was left outside the whole 28 hours until he got there. What? And then also people were like all over this crime scene, you know? Um. So once the gardie I love, th- I've been listening to a lot of like Dervla McTiernan audiobooks, which they all take place in Ireland and it's all about a detective and they're the gardie And I just, I, so I'm going to say that a lot. So once the um, the gardie basically initially goes out that, A woman has been like a foreign national I think is what they called her has been found murdered in West Cork and back in France there are you know all of these members of Sophie's family that know that she is in West Cork and they're kind of just trying to figure out like oh my god could it be her and they're like it can't be her it can't be her um and then they get the phone call that it is her and they are devastated oh. she was um she was a married uh mother of one she had a son from her first marriage um she was currently married to a very very famous um filmmaker in uh France and his name is uh, Daniel Toscan de Plantier like they were they were like of the rich and famous oh. socialites like she was the, like she was in like the upper echelon of French film society. So when it became known that she was in fact the victim here, this story like gained not just the attention of the people in Ireland, but all of France, everybody was like, how could this happen? Um, And her family was devastated. Her son was 15. He was Mm -hmm. on holiday with his dad who had to wake him up in the middle of the night and, and explain to him what happened. Her current husband was so completely like unmoored and devastated by this loss because he had just spoken to her. Um, He wasn't with her. He felt like he, why wasn't I there that he couldn't even go and identify the body. But then a lot of people also saw that as like, Hmm, what you wouldn't even go to identify your own wife, but he was that wrecked. Mm. Um, And as I mentioned, the media starts becoming quite interested in this story. And they're starting to ask certain questions. Like, why would she be in Ireland by herself over Christmas? Like, why wasn't she with family? Um, why wasn't her husband and son with her? And one of the first journalists to start asking these types of questions and insinuating that maybe Sophie was having an affair or, like, her marriage was in distress was a local reporter named Ian Bailey who was an Englishman who was a freelance journalist and also farmer and poet who had who lived in West Cork and he started churning out all of these articles strongly suggesting that the gardie should be looking for a French connection like either she had a lover from uh, Paris that was with her and he killed her or maybe her husband had said a, like a hitman, and so the gardie is like going to you know talking to all these people in, in france um in france eventually they investigate all of these angles and it's ruled out daniel toscone duplantier is like truly devastated there is no evidence that an assassin committed this murder one her cottage was so remote it was hard for the gardie people who lived there to find the location two an assassin would not commit a murder with a weapon of opportunity like a rock on the right, ground that, you know so they were like that doesn't make any sense and then um, there's no evidence that she was engaged in any kind of an affair. Her, the neighbor who found her, like they shared a like a driveway, so it was you know it was isolated in, the, in so much that there wasn't that many houses out there. But she's like she was here by herself. Um, so everyone's trying to retrace her steps. They've got video of her um, at the airport. They're doing like reenactments. They're asking the public for help because they don't have any leads, and they go basically door to door and they say thousands of people, they knocked on their door and they gave them these questionnaires asking them to fill them out, basically give them their whereabouts of like where they were that night or if they saw anything suspicious. And um, as, the, as the Guardia are investigating, they, they kind of, well, they get a couple of people coming forward saying, uh, like on tip lines, there's this woman that calls in and she calls herself Fiona, and she wants to do an anonymous tip that the night of Sophie's murder, she saw a man standing on a, this bridge. And I wrote it down somewhere, the name of the bridge. Da 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 da. The uh, Kildolfa Bridge, which was like very close to her house. And she saw a man there at 3 AM. She then calls back anonymously again. She does not want to come forward because she was in a car that with a man that wasn't her husband. So she doesn't want to tell them who she is. Eventually, though, when she calls in again, because they're like, the Guardi are going on television like pleading with this Fiona woman to please oh come God. forward and tell us what you know. Like, you're the only person who has a le- credible tip we might, you know, be able to solve this thing. So she calls in anonymous- anonymously again, but she actually ends up calling from her house this time. So they trace the call <laughs> and they discover that uh, her name is Marie Farrell and she is one of the locals. She owns like a shop in town And she says that she saw a man standing on the bridge, acting kind of erratic, like throwing his hands up, looking up to the sky. He was wearing like a long, dark coat, black, maybe navy blue, um, a black hat. And they were like, do you think you could identify him if you saw him again? And she's like, I don't know. I mean, we were just driving by. It was dark, but potentially. So the, um, the lead detective on the case, Detective Dwyer, he is frustrated because he has been like running down all of these notions that people have been pressuring him to do based on these articles written by this local um, journalist. And so he decides to have a chat with Ian Bailey, because it also turns out that Ian Bailey was the very first journalist on the scene, like got there way before anybody else. And... He had scratches all over his hands and arms and a cut on his forehead. So the guardia is like, one, you are the only person who's been like pushing us to look as far away from here as possible. And you've got scratches. And um, so he goes and talks to him at home. But the thing is, again, this is a, a police force that is not prepared. So rather than photograph his arms and hands and face they like have someone do a little drawing that looks like something that like a seven-year-old could draw of a hand and like where the scratches are. And that's all the evidence they have. Okay. (laughs) So then the witness, Marie is walking into um, a market, like in the main area in Skull and she opens the door and uh, immediately she sees the man that she saw on the bridge that night. And she had noticed that there were two Gardee, because now police presence is like everywhere. People are freaked out. There's never been a murder. They think that somebody among them has done this. So she closes the door. She goes and she goes, the man that I saw is in the shop. And they're like, OK, can you point him out? And she's like, well, I can just tell you who it is. I know him. His name is Ian Bailey. <sighs> so the journalist who has been right at the center of this story has, is now becoming part of the story. So- On February 10th of 1997, so she was killed um, December, either, you know, like the 22nd or early morning of the 23rd. So February 10th, a little over a month later in 1997, Ian Bailey is brought in, is arrested for suspicion of murder and brought in. But the way that the law works in Ireland is so... You have 12 hours when you arrest somebody to basically interview them, question them, and then present whatever you've got to the DPP, which is the um, the, like the public prosecutor, the department public prosecutor who can decide whether or not you have sufficient evidence to actually like proceed. And if not, you have to let them go after 12 hours. So they question him for 12 hours. He denies that he's ever even met this woman before. He's like, I've never met her and I have no motive to do this. Why would I do this? I cut my hands, cutting down a Christmas tree and I cut my head because I was killing some turkeys because he's also a farmer, I mm-hmm. mentioned. And um, and one of them pecked me in the forehead and the, the guardie is like, I'm not buying any of this. I know you did this. And Bailey is equally like, I did not do this. And while this interview is going on, They are executing search warrants, right? So they go into his home that he shares with his partner. Her name is Jules Thomas. She is also then arrested and brought in for questioning because they're like, maybe she's covering up for him. So now they've got both of them there. And while they're searching, they find no physical evidence in the house that would tie him to the crime. Then they have a separate like studio, which is their workspace. So that's where he goes to like write. And they're going through the studio, again, not finding anything. But when they make their way to the backyard, it's very clear that with recently, you know, like within, you know, maybe like a couple of weeks, that somebody had burned a bunch of stuff in the backyard. And so what they could kind of see is it looked like someone had burned a mattress, definitely some kind of leather boots. And then they found buttons that looked like they were coat buttons. All right. Again, this is all circumstantial because like a mattress wasn't involved in the murder um but they cannot find any like solid physical evidence tying him to the crime as they're being questioned both Jules and Bailey kind of changed their stories at first like he was home in bed with her all night then Jules says actually I think he did wake up at one point in the middle of the night and left and then I didn't see him again until the morning and he's like yes I did get up I went to the studio to write and then I came back Um, But again, like where they live is not close to Sophie. It's not, you know, it doesn't, you know, so basically they have to let this guy go, but he's been publicly arrested with her murder and then released. So now everybody's like, holy shit, did he do this? Like this guy that we all know, he lives in town. He's kind of known as being like a braggart and he loves to like stand up in the middle of the pub and start reciting like a terrible poem that he's written. Um, But there you have it, you know, like they have to let him go. They don't have enough physical evidence and they continue to investigate, but he's been released. So meanwhile, the family is devastated. She has this aunt who is so, I I feel weird describing it like this because it's such a sad topic, but she's so fabulously French and (laughs) kind of just like, dramatic in this way that I love like she talks about how um you know like she's prone to like visions of seeing like things in the future and how she doesn't know how she was you know wasn't able to see this from happening it comes out from the family that uh The day before she was killed, she had gone to this really famous place in court called Three Castle Head, which is like this crazy stone area that was known to be haunted. And one of the legends is that there's a white lady like that's by the lake over there. And if you see the white lady, that means your death is imminent. And there were friends of Sophie's, um, a family called the Ungerers, that were staying in Ireland as well nearby three castle head and that they told police that she came to their home quite frightened and worked up because she had seen something that looked like a white lady. And then the whole family is devastated because they, they think that if they, if she had gone to the home of like an Irish person who would have known like the, the legend and what it meant, they would never have let her leave. And then she's literally killed later that night. And she had like this strong sense of dread that something bad was going to happen to her. And, um, you know, it's just it's one of those things they talk a lot about how she, yes, was like married to this very famous man. She was a socialite. She was in the public eye. But that that lifestyle was not for her. She did it because it was part of it. But like being alone in this isolated cottage and she how she had this like bright sp- sunny smile but she also had a little bit of like natural melancholy and darkness in her and she was drawn to some like darker things mm. as an artist wanting to make she had a project in the works that she wanted to make which was going to be like short films about bodily fluids <gasps> so she had like a little bit of a gothic side to her which I thought was great they did a really wonderful beautiful job of kind of bringing her back to life in a way through their memories so as police are continuing to investigate. Our very brash braggart journalist Ian Bailey starts telling people he did it. What? Getting drunk, getting drunk and confessing uh at various times to people that he went too far. So there um there's also all these stories of him like going out on full moons and like howling at the moon. Like he's basically becoming like an actual monster figure in this town to the townspeople. But there's a guy who knew him kind of casually and people were talking, you know, like we think he's become unhinged. Like I saw him howling yeah. at the moon, blah, blah, blah. And so he goes over to tell him and he says that when he told him what people were saying about him, that Ian Bailey like grabbed the, like, I don't know, credenza or whatever was behind him and squeezed it until his, um, knuckles were white and he's like you did it you killed her you took one look at that ass and you wanted to have it and when she said no you bashed her but the guy was like the way he was saying it was like he was telling me what happened oh god but like it was me and not him and so he said he ran like running from the house um there was a 14 year old kid who was a neighborhood kid who oftentimes like they lived in the same street as ian bailey and he caught a ride home from him and it was clear that he'd been drinking and So he got into a car with a drunk driver, which was not his finest moment. But he uh, asked him how work was going. And the 14-year-old says that then Bailey said to him, everything was going fine until I bashed her brains in. So that's another confession. And then there's another story of a couple that had met him and Jules at a pub. They all ended up going back to his house. And then he started getting really weepy and like hugging and crying the man and being like, I did it. I went too far. I did it. So there's all these people that are now coming forward and letting police know, you know, maybe not immediately, but again, telling police, "Yeah, hey, he's confessed to this, right? Now, there's also investigating going on behind the scenes, not just people telling them. I think he did it, guys. I think he got it right the first time. So some of the stuff that the Guardian covers is that, um, not that as I mentioned, he was the first journalist on the scene, right? But he didn't stay long he didn't ask any questions. It's like he arrived, checked out what was going on and then left, right? At 1:40 p.m. the day that she was found uh is when they announced to like the public that it was a French woman. But there was more than like 10 people that heard Ian Bailey say he couldn't do like a job. He had a delivery scheduled as a mentioned, he worked on a farm. He couldn't complete like jobs because he was working on the story of a murdered French woman hours before that was made public. There was also a witness that said that his um, partner Jules, that she told somebody, oh, he can't, he's not here t- right now because he's working on the story. I guess there was a French lady that got killed. All before this is public knowledge. Oh no. He claims, he claims that like one of the like national correspondence for like the Irish times or whatever told him about the murder and that he had told him that it was a French person, but they talked to the reporter in this documentary. He's like, no, I don't think I knew exact. We just knew she was foreign. She wasn't like a native Irish person I told him it was a foreign national so how did he know it was a French lady murdered
0: because he murdered her two hours
1: before so like they're kind of building up this timeline of like people being told by him and his partner that he's working on a story about the murder of a French lady before that's common knowledge now we have all of these people coming forward being like he told me he did it so then on um let's see arrest this man so then in January of 1998, he is arrested again. Same deal this time. They got 12 hours. And in Ireland, after two times of this, no more interviews. Oh, jeez. Like, you can still like arrest him, but you can't talk to him anymore. Um, he is arrested again. And um, again, the way that they kind of made it sound is the Gardaí probably believed that with the new evidence of his confessions all of that stuff. Um, it had also become public knowledge that um, there had been like, oh wait, not yet. That comes later. Sorry. So they're thinking that they're going to have 12 hours and they're going to get him to confess to this crime. Because honestly, they don't have any new evidence that's not circumstantial, right? right. So 12 hours, they really think they're going to break him. They don't break him. <sighs> and they it have to... should have got him drunk. I know, right? After they give the prosecutor all of their evidence... Um, when he was asked about his spontaneous confessions he's like that's just dark humor or sarcasm he's like I wasn't confessing what kind of idiot would get would confess and it's like mm, who makes jokes about a woman that you've already been arrested for killing once before like why would you ever think that would be considered humorous anyway the prosecutor again is like I don't think we have enough here to charge him and he is released again <sighs> frustrating frustrating Yeah, I'm like, Gardee,
0: you better get your shit together.
1: Right? So, but he's been, like, basically dragged through the mud. You know, like, everybody believes he committed this murder. And so in 2003, Ian Bailey sues eight different newspapers for libel. Now, this is where hubris ends up kind of fucking everything up for this guy, even more so than it is. So because he is now suing people, they have to prove you know, like the newspaper, people have to prove it wasn't libel if it was reasonable to believe it was true, which means all of the circumstantial evidence that the gardie had gathered in their investigation and in the two prior arrests is handed over as evidence. Okay. And becomes public knowledge. So the knowing about the, the French, um, that she was French early, the scratches on his arm, the um, changing his story, that first time he was arrested for being like, I was home all night to I guess I did get up and go work and come back. So what he thought was going to be like his way to like make that money. Yeah. And also he liked the limelight. So I think, you know, he waited a couple years. The story was kind of going away. And he was like, I'm going to sue for libel, you know, and like get my face back out there. Um, it ends up, you know, like he loses the case and now he is officially guilty in the court of public opinion. This Amazing. This is also the first time, yeah, this is also the first time his family... Ever sees any of this evidence? Like all they know is that they had a suspect, they arrested him, he wasn't charged. They arrested him again, he wasn't charged. But the file was never like given to them, um, and so now they're like, "Wait, what the actual f?" Like you have you you have him. Like you have to do something about this. And um, oh, what also comes up in this trial, the libel one, is that he has been arrested for twice for domestic violence and like bad where he put jules his partner like hospitalized oh no so so now there's evidence that he's also got like anger massive anger issues and violence towards women is not out of the realm of his possibility uh but then in 2005 something else happens to kind of like blow all of this up so Marie Pharrell, remember the girl Fiona uh-huh. who saw a man on the bridge. She comes forward seemingly out of nowhere and recants her testimony, telling publicly claiming that the police had pressured her to name Bailey as the man that she'd seen on the bridge. And if she would do that, they wouldn't tell her husband that she was with a different man. So this seems like a big win for Ian Bailey, right? Because now he's got a witness to corroborate what he's been saying, which is like, they zeroed in on me and they just were throwing everything they could to make it stick. It's a conspiracy, all of this stuff. Um, And now he's got a witness that can say, the police made me lie. So in 2007, thinking I got this witness by my side, Ian Bailey sues the state for wrongful arrest, false imprisonment, and conspiracy. In this case, Marie Farrell... (laughs) Basically, like, takes the stand. They ask her questions. She's she clearly is so over this. She gets up and like leaves in the middle of them questioning her. What they convince her to go back in, and she basically is like, "I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not. I I I don't want to be." It's been ten years. She just basically like stop. She's like, "I stop. I'm not talking about this anymore." Um, and so that case is lost by Ian Bailey as well. So he is unable to um get any of that Monet from the newspapers, or the police department of uh, West Cork. But also in 2007, um, Jean-Pierre, Sophie's uncle, and her son, who's now a grown man, yeah. Pierre-Louis, they start a committee. They form a, like an investigative committee where they they start re-interviewing witnesses. They also, a couple new witnesses come forward, and they convince the, Fre- the French courts that they need to take over that they need to they i mean a french citizen was murdered therefore they have the right to prosecute the case and so some of the different witnesses that come forward there was always like one of the things that made it hard for the charges to stick was that he maintained that he'd never met sophie before and with sophie not there to tell if she had the only the closest they could come to was that the neighbor of sophie's that found her knows like ian bailey had come to her home. And so she was like, I'm pretty sure they've like met in passing, but I couldn't say that they've met. But one of her friends who had basically in the time of her death, couldn't didn't want to know any of the horrible details. When they start this committee, they start all of this stuff starts coming out. And she remembers that Sophie had told her Um, that while she was in Cork there was a man, a poet, that wanted to talk to her about doing a project, like some kind of a film project, and that she thought he was kind of a dodgy character and she wasn't sure, you know, but that he was really insistent on wanting to meet her and talk about this project. So there's that, all right? So that's a potential connection. Then there's an actual filmmaker that she worked with who she had talked about the same man, and because there was another person in the industry named Ian Bailey that he remembered uh, worked it. with them often. He was like, oh, do I know Ian Bailey? Blah, 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 blah. And she's like, oh, no, you wouldn't know him. He's like a farmer poet journalist out in West Cork. And he's like, oh, so it's a different Ian Bailey. But he actually had, a, she'd said the name to him. Ah. And then, and then another uh, witness, and I wrote her name down. Sorry, let me find her. Um, n- named Ariana Borina. So she was a friend of Jules Thompson's daughter, And Jules is the partner of Ian Bailey. And she was visiting her friend and staying at Ian Bailey's home with them that Christmas when the murder took place. And there were some odd things at the time. But she said, you know, but he was a journalist and he was out covering the story. And, you know, he was kind of an odd, weird guy. But some, you know, in light of all of this new information coming out, she... She had some information that nobody had ever asked her for. And so she said that she knows for a fact that he didn't cut down a Christmas tree. So there's no way that's what those scratches were from. And um, then she also said that the same day that Sophie had been found, she had taken a shower at their house and in the shower when she'd gotten in was a red bucket filled with like water and detergent or something and a dark black like huge overcoat like submerged in the water and she remembered thinking that's so weird one it's the dead of winter and why would you just leave a coat like a thick heavy winter coat that would take forever to dry submerged in a bucket of water so they present all of these witnesses plus all of the old witnesses to the french courts and in 2019 they try him for murder in absentia and he is found guilty by the police court of the parisian courts And sentenced to 25 years in prison for the murder of of Sophie uh, Duplantier. But why this is frustrating is Ireland refuses to extradite him. So he is still living as a, I guess like, so the law that Ireland follows is similar to British law. And they don't recognize, I guess, French law. And I guess even the idea of trying someone in absentia. Whereas French has this style of, like, you just need to present a bouquet of evidence versus, like, you must have, like, concrete, nothing circumstantial. Whereas the French people are like, if you have a 1,000 pieces of circumstantial evidence, we will see your case. Right. We'll see your, you know, we'll go through with it. Where that's not the case, I guess, in Ireland. So to this day, he still lives in the same community in West Cork. Um, Jules finally left him after 25 years Saying that she just couldn't deal. Like I think probably when the documentary came out, and it was all coming back again. Yeah. Um. But as of right now, he is still a free man. Well, not a free man. He's a fugitive, but they won't extradite him. So there's nothing that the French authorities can do, unless he like makes a mistake and travels somewhere, which he obviously won't do. Uh. uh. Her son, um, Pierre Louis said, you know, he's gonna continue. You know, if Ian Bailey is going to continue to slip through the net, then I promise you that one of these days I will bring the net down on him. So they're not done fighting. Um, And, you know, what's interesting about this to me is, you know, it it seems very likely that he is guilty. Oh, yeah. You know, like, like, you know, there's it's shocking that they refuse to go ahead with a trial in Ireland with that much evidence and witness testimony against him. And the way that the prosecutor talked about how, like hearsay and witness statements coming well after the fact and it's like people don't always know what they know you know until there's context for things yeah. um but if he ha- if he for some reason isn't guilty then he has spent like the last 25 years it'll be 25 years this this December 23rd of his life being thought a murderer but it also goes to show that the people of West Cork weren't lying when they talked about like that they it was a town that was was like kind of accepting of all types because he's still there. Wow! People, you know, like they they still like a, I mean I think he's probably a little bit of an outcast, but like he was never run from town. Yeah, and so that is the the sad, sad, sad story of Sophie Toscan du Plantier, and I'm gonna keep my eye on this one because I really I really do hope that that her son and her family who have formed this you know committee to get justice for her I really hope they do.
0: Yeah. That is just so sad. I can't, You know, and I feel like, I mean, he's, in my mind, he's guilty. And I can't imagine yeah, sure. having a neighbor who you you know killed somebody. I'd be like so terrified for my kids and everything. Anyways, for that everyone. was such
1: a good story, Avrin. But yeah, so I just, I thought about like her idyllic little cottage yeah. in a rural, beautiful community. And then God. that I kind of found, I, I found the story from there. And it just... Wow, it's I will haunting. keep. I'll come back to this one if, if there are updates. I promise, yeah. I will I will come back to this one. I would love that. I would love to hear
0: more. Um, well, you guys, thank you so much for joining us yes. on, on this week's episode of Rom Crime. We hope you enjoyed. We love
1: you.
0: We love you guys so much. Um, next week we got something more fun for you. So stay That's tuned. Right. We can't wait. Love you, Rom criminals. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed this episode of Rom Crime. If you did like it, please rate, review, and subscribe, all those good things, and share it with a friend who you think might be into the rom-com true crime genre that we're dipping our toes into. Follow us on all social platforms, at Rom Crime. We'll see you next week with another Rom Crime with Avern and Vanya, produced, directed, edited, and researched by us. Till next week.